Welcome to the Company of Believers podcast. We hope you will be blessed and encouraged by this message. Jesus bless you. I, I really believe, y'all, if you're sitting at this table tonight, and it's it's an invitation to be a part of history. I, I don't need the house full tonight. I'm kind of glad this is what we're looking at, so we can all sit and look at each other in the face. If I can get you all to hear what I feel like God's saying tonight, we we just need to step into something that is pretty amazing. And uh, I haven't preached since October. Uh, you know, I got a lot to say, and it's not because of that. It's just what God has been speaking to me in these last days. Because I spent the last three months, once I got healed and could actually think, sitting in my chair and just talking to God and listening to God and asking for him to speak to me about what's coming for me and the families that God's given me to walk with and how to lead and what he wants me to say. And I feel like he has. And uh, I'm going to start in Hebrews 5, and it's probably going to make everybody in this house mad before I leave tonight, and I'm not leaving tonight, hopefully. <laughs> oh, I'm leaving tomorrow. You can't make me that mad. Right? You didn't leave it tonight. You done drove your seven and a half hours today. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, I'm, I, and I tell the brothers all the time wherever I go, I say, I'm a Berean. And so I, I like talking with everybody about Jesus and like hearing what everybody's got to think. And if you say something that goes against or is different than something I have as an established truth or just a belief over the Word of God that I had never had before, when I hear the difference of that, I don't write it off. I just say, I'll get back to you in a minute about that. <laughs> and I'm going to go home and get my Bible out and I'm going to Google some stuff and I'm going to have an opinion about it pretty soon or at least have some questions before the Lord. And so I, I want all of y'all to to be a Berean because everybody in here is mature people in God. And so before you let madness take you over these things, go home and sit with God and get your Bible out and just see if it's not so. And being mature ain't got nothing to do with how old you are. It's got everything to do with the state of your hunger after Jesus. That has not, that has nothing to do with age. And uh, I'm, I'm going to start in Hebrews uh, and just read a, a verse or two in Hebrews chapter 5, and I'm going to jump to a couple places because what Brother Joel was saying is right about the need for us to be a new wineskin if we want the new wine that God wants to pour out. And I'm not talking about having an amazing service where everybody shucks and bucks and jerks on the floor uh, and I love that that's awesome but God our father is after something that so transforms us that we leave a generational change for generations to come and you know and I I, I heard uh, somebody I listen to preach all the time say this morning we were listening on the way up you know, and he made a statement. I absolutely 100% agree with it. If your theology, your end time beliefs, your whole understanding of the gospel does not impress in your heart the need to leave something better for the next generation, then you're wrong. And if your only thought about the end times is getting out of here and getting yourself ready so you can get out before the fire hits, you're wrong. 
because everything about the kingdom of God is preparing for the next generation to step into a land they didn't have to fight to take. Amen. And if you're not next generation conscious, then you do not understand the heart of the Father. And it ain't that I don't have an end times belief. I do. But I can tell you what it's not. Trying to get myself up out of here as fast as I can. My belief is to leave something better for my children than I got from my mom and dad. And preparing something that will, will exist until Jesus does come. Whenever he decides that's going to be. And so that requires a big shift in a lot of our understanding of the word of God. That most, you know, I can't say me because I didn't grow up in church. Rachel did. I got saved. Jesus walked in my room. I got born again and was in an apostolic family where I wasn't taught a lot of the religious gargle that uh, most people grow up with. And then I was off to the mission field teaching people the gospel. I'd never heard the gospel. And, and so I, I missed out on a lot of that stuff. Now, it'll, it has come in the years since then and tried to attach itself to me at different times. And sometimes it did a good job. And I woke up one day and realized, why am I carrying some stuff that I did not start with? Where did this come from? And I've had to shed that skin several times in my walk with Jesus. But what God wants from us right now is to have our minds transformed and renewed with the Word of God in a way that maybe we haven't experienced even though we've read these verses and we've, we've understood certain degrees of this truth. But until we do, we can't be a new wineskin. Being a new wineskin is not about going and locking yourself in a room and fasting for 40 days and reading 3,000 chapters of the Bible and praying 500 hours. That's not what he means. It means allowing him to completely define who you are according to what he says about you and letting the kingdom of God be what he says it is in his scripture, not what grandma and grandpa told you as they took you to church or not what the Sunday school teacher told you. And a lot of that stuff was right and good and some of it was just garbage. And, it, and we need to allow the Holy Ghost to separate that from us and not curse not curse it because it is what is what was used to bring us to where we're standing today. So we got to be careful not to curse those places in their, in, their, in their dysfunction because it is the tool that God used greatly to bring us to where we're standing today, hungry for Jesus at all these different ages and want to know him. Because we could be doing a lot of things on a Tuesday night instead of sitting at this table talking about the gospel. Amen. And the reason why we're here and excited to be here and nobody's in a big hurry to get up and get out of here is because we got a hunger in our heart for Jesus. Come on, brother. Come on. And so that's good stuff. And something got us to this point. <laughs> and it wasn't ourselves. And so we got to be careful not to do that. But one thing about the wineskins that I do know is that you don't have to be a new wineskin if you don't want to. You don't want to embrace the truth that God's trying to give you. He will love you in an old wine skin and let you have old wine and it'll be an awesome time and you'll go to the same heaven that people in the new wine skin are going come to. On, come on. And not like you're going to get to a different different paradise. It'll be the same place. And he ain't going to think less of you, love you less, take his hand off your life less. You just don't get to experience the fullness of what he has. And that's completely up to our appetite and desire. And he said, that's what's so awesome about Father. He ain't pushing any of us to burn after that. He's letting us know it's available and now you get to choose. And if you're good with the old, please praise God. I'm not. I want everything that he has ever had stored up for me since before the foundation of the earth. And so whatever you need to change in me, Father, do it. Rip it out by the roots. 
If its foundations is not in you and in what this word says about you, then I don't want it. So whatever's worked its way in there and inter intertwined itself with truth, pull it out. In, in Hebrews right here, I'm in chapter 5, y'all. And I, I'm just going to read a couple verses. Chapter 5, Hebrews 13 and 14. And... Uh, I'm going to read this in the King James and I'm going to tell you why I don't like King James in this verse because it's wrong. <laughs> and I, I like King James in most verses, but there are some verses they could have done a better job at. Uh, it says right here in 5.13, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And in, in verse 13, there's some things that they weren't translated right. There ain't no other way to say it. It's wrong. And I don't, don't want to offend you. The word of God's perfect, but man's not. Sometimes some, some verses are translated that they ain't right. And then you get in other translations and they say it better in other parts of theirs is not right. And the King James is. So it's not that I got a favorite. It's just you, you got to understand what God's trying to say here. For everyone that uses milk. Have you ever used milk? That's not how you, that's not what you do. That word use right there, useth. It means to partake or to drink milk. Drink or eat is what that word means. So everyone that partakes or eats or drinks milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness and and the biggest problem with this verse right here and it matters is unskillful because that is not a right interpretation unskillful means you've developed a skill set you you've worked you've achieved, you've, you've improved yourself, and now, boy, you can use that hammer, you can use that saw, you're skilled at this job with this tool. And how do you become skilled in righteousness? You're either righteous or you're not. Exactly. So you can't be skilled in that. You either believe that you are righteous because he is righteous, or you're not. That word right there, y'all, unskillful is made up of two words and it's a pyro or pyro and the a part of that means alpha you know he and it's only used four times in the bible alpha and that's all in revelation he's alpha and omega that's easy and the second part of that is pero and pero means to be uh, it means to be pierced so there's a weird thing that happens when you take alpha and you put that word with another word and you put alpha in the beginning, it takes on a negative connotation that actually means not or no. So when you put alpha with pierced and alpha is preceded by or alpha is in front of pierced, it becomes not pierced. So when you read that word that way, for everyone that drinks milk is is not pierced with the word of revelation and the word logos there of righteousness. It actually means when you're still drinking milk, you have not been pierced with the revelation of righteousness yet. You are not pierced with the revelation of righteousness. It doesn't mean you're not in the kingdom of God. 
Mm-mm. It means you're still a baby because you're still drinking milk and you've not matured to the point where you've left. You know, I heard this guy say this other day, we're the only mammals that go back to drinking milk after you're weaned. There's no other mammal on the planet that goes back to drink milk after they're weaned. And do you realize that we're supposed to come to a point where we leave milk behind and move on to solids? But the human nature is to always want to go back and keep drinking that milk. And that's fine if you got it mixed in with a whole bunch of good food. But if that's all you're trying to exist on is milk, then that will cause you not to grow properly. Because you're not getting the nutrients you need to mature, to be strong and healthy and functional as an adult. And, and that's, what, that's what the author of Hebrews was dealing with right there. And he's trying to get to understand, when you have not been pierced with the revelation of righteousness, you cannot mature into adulthood. Paul in Galatians talks about that in chapter 4. He says that even being an heir, when he's, a, when he's a child, and that word child is the same word they use right here for, for a babe. It is the same word in Greek. When you, being an heir, are still a child, you're the same as a slave. You're the same. You're no different than a slave when you're in a state of, of this growth. And even though you have access to the kingdom because of your inheritance, but because of your lack of maturity, you can't reach it and access it and operate in it. And so Paul's saying, uh, not Paul, whoever it is, it might've been Paul, but right here, he's saying, you know, I want to give you more. I want to teach you more about the deep things of God, but you refuse to let righteousness pierce your heart and you're still living under the first works. And you go back in this chapter and it actually talks about the works of, of a, you know, we got to go back and talk about repentance again. We got to talk about raising people from the dead right, again, laying right, on of hands right. and, and judgment. You know, it's like we have to keep teaching the same things over and over and that's where we stand on and that's what we're known for and that's all we're going to talk about. And that's the things of babes. And, and Paul's, or the author's telling him, I want to give you things that are so much deeper, but you can't have it until you're pierced by the revelation of righteousness. And, and so this thing of, of righteousness, it is so crucial. And it is really, I think, one of the biggest things that hampers us from seeing the fullness of God whether it's in healings, whether it's in deliverance from sin, whether it's in how to love each other, how to love ourselves, and how to actually be image bearers of Christ. I think it's the lack of the revelation of righteousness piercing our very being. You know, I'm so grateful because I don't know how, I couldn't have not explained this to you probably until just recently, but when Jesus walked into my room and I had not gone to church like you're saying, hadn't read a Bible, didn't want nothing, I was high on dope. But when he walked into my room, I knew that he loved me. And as I was laying on that floor weeping over that love, I instantly knew that he wasn't there to punish me or, or to give me the wrath I deserved, that he was actually inviting me into himself to be one with him. And I didn't know how to explain any of that. I just knew it was as simple as Paul laying on the road in Damascus, Saul. 
is that I should be dead and he's not. So that means he must be here for a different reason. And I figured out pretty quick it was he wanted me and he wanted me to understand that. And the only response I knew to give him was much like Saul is, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm yours. And as I was laying on that ground crying, I didn't understand anything about the word of God. But what I did understand is that everything I did know before, I had to leave behind to have what he was offering me right then. I knew it was one or the other. I knew it couldn't be both. And as I laid on that floor and made the decision that I was tired of living dead Mm. and I wanted this love and joy and peace that was overflowing my heart that I just couldn't even bear. It was so beyond my ability to comprehend. I made a sentence and said, yes. And when I got up off that floor, something in me said, Abba, Father, my Father. Amen. And it wasn't because somebody led me in a prayer or I read a track or I read a verse. I had an encounter with the living God. And when I surrendered and basically said in, in snot and tears, I'm yours, whatever you want, I'm done. When that happened, I knew that I was his. I knew that everything I had ever done wrong wasn't between me and him anymore. And I didn't understand wow. how that doctrine wow. And it did not come by the word of man. It came by a revelation of righteousness. And I knew that from Mm. that moment on, I didn't have to hang my head in in shame. And I walked in that church and it was, I embarrassed people because of how boisterous I was about what had happened to me. Because I was so convinced of that righteousness was in me. Now I knew that I was as good as anybody who had been sitting in there a hundred years. And I didn't have to go sit in the corner and do penance and get everybody to agree and approve of me because I knew that I was a son. Go. And I just knew. You know, and, and, and like everybody in here, I then had to, to, to keep surrendering to the Lord and purify myself. And there were times I did real good at that and there were times I didn't do real good at that. But there never left me the sense that I was his and he was mine and we were one. And that his righteousness was my righteousness. And, and so with some of the things I've struggled with down through the years, submitting to God and believing the word of God over what I believed in myself, uh, this had really hadn't been one of them. And, and it helped me to understand a lot about Father and grow in other areas that I saw people around me could not, they just, they... I, my mom and dad got divorced twice before I was 16 to each other. And so they were rough, party, honky-tonkers. And, and they hated each other, you know, couldn't be in the same room with each other without fighting and trying to call each other's eyes out. I mean, it was rough. But one thing that they never did was put that hate towards me. And their drunkenness and their drugging and all of that chaos, that was never imposed on me from them. I knew... Y'all are screwed up, but man, you do love me. And I was the favorite. I mean, I knew that it was just, y'all, I mean, y'all are ruining my life by the way you hate each other. But I never doubted that they loved me to the maximum. And, and you know, and I didn't understand the value of that that I, I would reap later because uh, I just didn't have daddy issues. I had a lot of issues, but they weren't daddy issues. My daddy loved me. 
My daddy always put me first. My daddy, you know, and I knew that my daddy was always there for me. It didn't matter how bad I, I mean, my daddy come in with the road truck driving <laughs> and wear me out like a grown man because I was, I was six foot, 270 pounds at 12 years old, you know, and what are you going to do, whip him with a belt? You know, he'd come in and just wear me out because of the stupidity I was putting on my mama all week. And I'd just get up and walk out as soon as he was done and walk right out the door and go do more. And, uh, and, but I always knew he always let me come home. <laughs> he might hit me for a minute, but in a minute he, he'll, 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 he can't, he just can't stay mad at me. And, and so I, I grew up with that. And so when I stepped into the gospel, that really helped me understand how father was towards me, but not even to the full degree that I understand now. And I'm telling you what we need to understand is what righteousness really is, and we need to let that revelation pierce us. In 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read another verse with you guys. And I'm business to, to start messing with, with a lot of y'all's beliefs. And it's not anything except I really believe this is the word of the Lord. In chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to start in uh, verse 29, but in, in verse 27, I'll just read the very beginning of it. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And he, he says a lot more, but you get to 29, and he says that, he tells you why. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Everything that he wants glory for, he does not want it from our flesh. He wants it because he has worked himself in us and through us. And if you can do it, he don't want it. And in verse 30, listen to this. There's another place where they could have translated better. It says, but of him, and it should be through him, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness. Now, and sanctification, and redemption. There's three things, four things noted right here. Wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption that, that Paul is telling the Corinthians that through him, you're in Christ Jesus. And because you're in Christ Jesus, this is the benefit. He became for you wisdom, but he became for you righteousness. Oh, yes, he did. He came for you, sanctification. His sanctification is now my sanctification. Hmm. You understand? I'm not working to be righteous. The minute I said, I am yours, Lord, the righteousness and the perfection that he walked in, it was imputed to me, and I'm righteous. And see, people don't like to hear this. You, him and you. Him and me. Him and us. But that's me. Yeah. I am the righteousness of God yeah, in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Yeah. And see, if we say that, but then we actually turn around and really give place to it in a place of revelation, what that means is I don't have to work to be righteous. It don't mean my life won't betray righteousness. It absolutely will betray righteousness or I'm not of him. 
But if I really surrender to the truth that I don't have to work to appease Father or I don't have to get enough days together doing right and preaching and handing out tracts or not cussing and not doing this and not doing that and then finally God's going to look at me and say, all right, come on. So that mentality right there is a, religi a religious mentality oh, of work. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah. I was sitting in Mexico in my house about three o'clock in the morning a couple of years back. And I, I honestly do not remember what caused this, but I was really distraught and upset with myself because I had promised God I am not going to do this no more. And whatever it was, I did it. And I don't even remember what it was. And, and it was, most people might not have thought it was anything, but to me and God, it, to me, it was a big deal. And I was upset because I want to please Father and I had failed. And I'm sitting in the chair and I'm just like, oh God, I just suck. I'm just horrible. God, I just, I mean, you should just walk off and leave me. I should just quit and go home and never talk to anybody about it. I mean, I just, but every time I said that, he would just, and I was reading the Song of Solomon at that time, he would just go, but you're beautiful. And, and I'd be like, no, I'm dark and burnt up from the sun. He said, but you're so lovely. And I would say, but God, I'm horrible. I can't get it right. He said, but you, you're mine. And it was and it was a, a back and forth discourse. And I was trying to give him all these reasons why he should turn from me. And every time I did, he would just slap it down with, but man, you're beautiful. I burn for you. And we were having this conversation. And, and the more he, he responded to me that way, I began to get embarrassed that I was suggesting to him why he shouldn't look at me as he was suggesting to me, you think I see things I don't see. You're talking to me about things I don't even, I'm not acknowledging. And as I began to realize how he was really seeing me, and it wasn't that I hadn't done whatever I had done, I had. But he was looking at me through the lens of Jesus Christ. But of him, you were in Christ Jesus. And so as he was looking at me, he was looking at me through Jesus. Mm. And he couldn't see that. What he saw was a son. What he saw was somebody who was righteous. Why? Because I'm perfect? No, because Christ, Christ Jesus is perfect. Come on. And you, let me tell you something. People get nervous and, hey, I, I'm the first person to pull a sword if I think heresy's coming. I'm not. If you begin to think I don't believe in hell and judgment of God, you got nothing coming. <laughs> but I also understand that I am his. And his righteousness is now my righteousness. That's right. Why? Because. Believe that. Believe that. And listen. Hold on to that. Come on. Who became for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now just look at the last three things. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Those are three things that now I don't have to work to be. Mm. I don't have to work to be righteous. I am righteous. I don't have to work to be sanctified. I am sanctified. I don't have to work to redeem myself. I am redeemed. <laughs> and it's not because I did it. Yes. It's not because I'm trying to cheapen anything with Jesus. It's because that's what he did for us. And that is the holy exchange we've had with him when we believe in him. And, and what happens here Amen. is that we get trapped in the spirit of religion thinking I've got to do a little bit more. I've got to get a little bit better. I've got to get a few more days in a row. And if I finally get there, I'll get to level up and be a little bit more. You know, I'll get more annoying. I'll get more attention. He'll love me a little bit better now because I've gotten to be a little bit better at following the rules. Well, that's 
And you know, that's never ever been his intention. <laughs> he became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I, I've been born again now for like 25 years almost. And I hadn't straightened myself out yet. <laughs> and boy, I love Jesus. Come on. But you know what I have quit trying to do? Earn his love. Earn his gaze. Earn his approval because I already have it. I can't do enough right for him to love me any more than he loved me when I was laying on the floor high on dope uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do down there. He loved me as much then as he loves me right now. The only thing I did was surrender to it and believe in Jesus. And when I did, that righteousness that I never would have achieved trying to work to be better, trying to quit doing all the things I was doing and be just a better person and follow the rules and get all every, everything right. I would have never gotten there on my own works, just like I hadn't been able to yet. But I've rested in the fact that it's okay because I'm righteous. He doesn't see me as a, less, a lesser son because I might not have walked everything out just yet. I'm persevering to the end and I shall be saved. That's right. I have a heart that hungers and thirsts after him. But what happens, just like happened to me that night when I was in Mexico sitting in that chair and he finally embarrassed me enough and, and I, the revelation set down on me of who I really was before him, that he really did see me as beautiful. He really did see me as his beloved. He really did see me as favorite. He really did see me as righteous. When I realized you really do see me like that, they went, back there. They went that way, buddy. <laughs> When I realized that he really did see me that way, it didn't give me a feeling of, oh, now I can just go do what I want. Everything's good. And that's what everybody fears, that if you start talking stuff like this, everybody's going to go off the rails and they're going to run to sin because, by gosh, we're the righteous of God and we can go do what we want. Jesus ain't, the God ain't seeing it. He's just seeing Jesus. No, if that's what you want, that's what you're going to go do. But if you have a heart to walk with the Father and to know Him and to follow Jesus, that's not permission to go sin. It's permission to rest from trying to fix yourself and realize I've been fixed. And the only thing that's keeping me from walking in the truth of that and making it my reality is that I still believe here I got to fix something because I'm broke. Come on. And so what happens is I stay in the mentality that I'm broke and hopefully if I do enough things, I'll get unbroke and fix myself and finally get to where I need to be. And how is that working out? Fixing ourselves. That kept me lost, brother. That very thing kept me lost. And that's, that's the whole thing is yeah. that kept me lost. I surrendered to that truth yeah. and you know what came on me? Grace. Glory. Things I had struggled against for years, trying, yeah. and I would pray and I fasted for a while. I'd be free, but it would just circle back around, and then the, the next time it'd get me. And in the back of my mind, I knew I might not be doing it now, but I probably will soon because it's just who I am. Mm. Just who I am, you know. And I know Jesus loves me, and I hope it'll be all right and I'll get to heaven and I know I'm saved, but you know, I'll just have to deal with this the rest of my life probably because this just ain't the freedom for me that it is for somebody else. Well, that's a lie. 
Because he made me righteous. And the only thing keeping me from walking in the fullness of that righteousness is me believing that that's not who I am. When you tell Josiah that this is his house, that's his daddy, and everything in here he has right to, even though he might not have permission to touch it at this particular moment in his life, he don't walk around this house like this ain't his house. He goes in that refrigerator and gets what he wants, and if you walk to the front door, he asks you, what you doing here? Why? Because he actually believes that he has to do nothing to be Joel's son. He's just Joel's son. Because he got told as he grew up, I'm your daddy. I'm your daddy. I'm your daddy. Come on, bro. Yeah, I'm going to take you in the room and spank you for a minute, son, because you shouldn't have did that. But I'm your daddy. And when that truth gets established in our heart, we begin to live up to what we actually are believing and expecting about ourselves. When I begin to understand that, man, you see me as righteous even when I make this mistake, all of a sudden I begin to understand, well, I don't have to do that no more. That lie would come back saying, but you're going to do it again. I said, no, 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 no. I believed you're lying long enough, devil. I'm righteous. That thing right there has no place in me no more. And a, and a grace began to come on my life to walk through things. And I wasn't fasting about it. I wasn't praying about it. I wasn't memorizing all the verses, dealing and busy about it like before. I just believed that I was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that empowered me to just say, that ain't righteous. And I'm righteous. <laughs> that ain't righteous. And I'm righteous. I have a right to tell you no because that's not who I am. But if I believe that's who I am and that's just what I'm going to do, then there's always a permission subconsciously to reach and grab hold of it again because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And so I've got to sin. That's one of the biggest lies I hear and it makes me want to cuss. Because I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner that was saved by grace. I'm a son of God now. Because that's, that's, what, right. that's what the Bible says. That's right. To those that believe, he gives the power to become the sons of God. So either I'm a sinner or I'm a son of God now. Amen. So we got to decide what we're going to believe. The slogans that are in the church, those religious demonic sayings that keep you in bondage, or are we actually going to believe what Jesus said? Come on. I'm going with Jesus. He said demonic. In the church. That's what he said. Come on, bro. Do you you understand this? That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if Jesus is telling you, you are a son of God because you believed in me, end of the story. There's no other requirement involved for you. What that means is I get up and I begin to say, I'm not a son. I'm not dark. I was darkness. But you know what? I'm light. I'm light. Come on. I don't even have to walk into the room and start preaching. I just got to put my hand on your chest. And it ain't because I'm super spiritual. It's because I believe I am light. I don't have to walk into a place and hand out tracts to get everybody to know about Jesus. You know what? I, I got to walk in there and just stand. If I walk into a Walmart or any place and I just sit there and stand long enough, somebody's going to bump up into me and they're going to want to know, hey, can I just hold your hand? I don't even know why. I, I can't that. tell you I that, but I, that. I don't know if anybody's ever seen so that. much yeah. more awesome than me that I'll be talking about that the rest of my life. <laughs> because what else matters? Right. It's just the witness of Jesus Christ coming out of you. That's right. Because either I'm light or I'm not. If I got a work to be light, 
How am I going to do that? It's either a surrender to what God says and letting that be the identity that we allow to declare itself over us or we're still laboring to do something else to be a little bit more loved and a little bit more received. Mm. And see what happens, we, we, we go through these different things like this comes on you. And I don't understand God using me and this is happening to me. And, 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 and you know, the danger of that is, is it's not that, that we all don't have to deal with that question when something like that happens. I mean, believe me, sister, I, I just had a kidney taken out. I was fine one day and the next day I was dying because a kidney stone ruptured my kidney. I mean, I wasn't sick. I had this happen and then all of a sudden my life changed. And, you know, hey, I'm preaching, I'm praying, I'm doing everything I know to do that's right. And, and you know, the, every, that question comes to everybody. But that question is from hell. Because something's got to be decided. God declaration about who I am still stands regardless of the circumstances. Or it never was true. What right do I have to drag Abba Father into the courtroom to judge if he still loves me or if I'm still loved by him after we've done gone through this holy transaction where I gave him my sin and he gave me his righteousness. What right do we have to drag him back into that court rights? But I don't understand. How can I do this and this? Because, and it's not that it makes you bad. Hey, I, that's the same questions. <laughs> Jesus? It's not that, that that makes it wrong. We just can't let that sit down on us and have its way because in the end of that is to bring God into the courtroom and judge Him. Are you still good because this is happening to me? Am I still good because this is happening to me? And that's not, that's, that's not an appropriate question ever to ask Father again once we do this. Once we make this holy exchange and... We give him our sin to him who, who knew no sin. And he gives us his righteousness. We don't have a right to bring him into the courtroom and question, have you changed? Do you see me differently now? Am I all of a sudden not good because I yelled at my husband yesterday? Or I kicked the dog? Or, you know, I said an ugly word? Or I watched something on TV? Or, Do you not love me no more? Is this is why I'm experiencing this? I mean, there are reasons why things happen to us. I don't know why that happened to me and I ain't got a kidney no more. I have no clue. It did. But what I decided through that process, when that thing tried to come on me and make me, make me continuously have that question, but why God, you know, I'm supposed to be doing this for you and I'm supposed to be doing this for you and I've been serving you and all of a sudden, you know, there's this question of life. And... and what I decided was I'm not doing that no more. Because he 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 has to be seen as good regardless of our circumstances. Yes. And I'd never try to belittle your suffering because I've had a good bit of it myself here in the last few months. And pain is pain, hurt is hurt, and the attack that comes on us uh, intellectually, all that's real. And it should not be diminished, but we also can't allow that to produce questions or doubts in us that should be foregone conclusions for the rest of time. He is good, and I'm his beloved. Yes.
No, I, that's right. That's right. Paul said, "Y'all accepted me here." I, I was. I think it's in the Galatians. He's talking about the only reason I stopped here is because I was sick. That's right. And y'all received me in my sickness like I was Jesus Christ Himself. That's right. You understand? God, I don't even know how to say it properly, but whatever was on Paul right then forced him to stop where he was at and probably lay down. And even in his laying down and suffering, he began to preach the gospel to those people in whatever form that was. And we have no idea. It might have been him laying on the floor telling somebody, thank you, and, and, and saying, you know, my God loves you as he's laying there dying or something. I, we don't know. But it was the thing that was imposed upon him that actually gave the gospel to those people. And, and so we don't know why just like Paul didn't bother to tell us why. I prayed three times to God to take this thorn out of my flesh. And he finally told me, just shut up. My grace is sufficient. My power is enough. So hush. You were a miracle to somebody who needed to see. And I hope I've been a miracle a long time running. <laughs> but the thing is, is that we don't have a right to do that. We've got to surrender to these truths. Like I was saying, I was darkness. I'm light. I'm not in the light, I am in the light. But even more powerful for me to understand is that I am light. Because if I say I'm in the light, a lot of times that religious mind says, well, I gotta go to church because I'm in the light. And that's where the light is in the church building. So let me go in there and shine with all the other lights. And when we leave, I ain't in the light no more. And so there's a, there's a leaving of the responsibility of there with yeah. all the other lights. But when you understand I am light, that means everywhere I go, I just gotta stand there and shine. And like Brother Joel's told me, darkness has to back up. It doesn't even have a choice no more. And see, if I actually believe that I am righteousness because he became my righteousness, then that means I'm never in wrong standing with God as long as I'm his son or daughter. And this is one of the best examples I can give you all. Jesus receives these visitors from John the Baptist. And John... As great as he was, he, he was wavering. And he answered, Jesus answers the messengers, he sends them home, <laughs> and then he turns around to the crowd who I imagine had a front seat to this conversation. I believe Jesus did it publicly right there in front of the world. The great John the Baptist who baptized the multitudes and called everybody vipers, and now he ain't even sure himself. And, yeah. and so Jesus dealt with it there publicly. Yes. And you know, and and, and he he Y'all know, and he said, he says, surely, in verse 11, he says, surely, I say to you, that Jesus, I, the Son of God, say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's a powerful statement for the Son of God to make. Come on. Because, let's think about that. Now, we're, we always think about us. No, he's talking about Abraham, the friend of God. <coughs> the father of faith. <clears throat> He's talking about Noah, the righteous man that saved his family of eight when the whole world perished. He's talking about Enoch who walked 365 days with God and was no more. And y'all can, we can all quote that list up to that moment of who he was talking about that's written in this book. Jesus said, not me, Jesus said, none of them were greater than John the Baptist. Are you kidding me? That guy was so dedicated that he went out into the woods and put animal skin on the bare minimum and ate bugs off the ground and honey out of a tree to keep alive. 
That's how much he thought about himself. And he lived for one thing, to stand up and declare and be the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. And he did that like he didn't have any other reason for existing. And Jesus said there hadn't risen one better than him. But it's the next part. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now y'all figure that verse out. If all the way up to that point, nobody was better than John, and then Jesus jumps on the other side of the line of believing in him, no one in the kingdom, the least the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And I just looked at my friend and I said, Robert, there's only one question. Are you in the kingdom or are you not? Because if you're in the kingdom, you're greater than the guy that ate bugs and lived half naked out in the desert to preach the gospel. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is when it is applied to us when we believe in him. That's how powerful the righteousness of God is when we give him our sin. When we make that exchange, we think God, we, we really live under the condemnation of every mistake and, and failure and sin that we do commit after we've believed in Jesus. And what it does, it makes us inutile, it makes us useless. Because we think I got a little bit better then, maybe. If I do a little bit more then, maybe. Instead of realizing, just like John said over in 1 John, if you do sin, hey. We have a lawyer in heaven. I'm not telling you that we ain't sinned on this side of the line or made mistakes. But what, what Father sees is Jesus when he looks at us. What Jesus declares to us through the mouth of John is if you do make a mistake, it's easy. Plead your sin, confess it, and you know what happens? You just stay hid in me. Now, you want to stay in that path of sin and rebellion? Well, in a minute, you'll walk yourself right on out of Jesus. But what happens when we actually submit to these truths, then we quit laboring, and we actually just believe this is who I am. And when you believe that, that's what you begin to act like. Man, when I walked out of that that house that day of believing Jesus, I, I just immediately was different. I didn't do the things. I didn't ever drink again. I never smoked dope again. I didn't ever sleep around again. I didn't ever go walk up and punch somebody in the face again. I didn't go in other people's houses and steal again. I, you know, I quit lying most of the time. <laughs> you know, there were some things that were so obvious that I had become a new person because I actually believed this is who I was. This is who I believed who I was. And so it's not that... It, that we walk in this level of perfection. And when the Bible talks about perfection, it's actually talking about a degree of maturity. It's not talking about being perfect in the sense of you never make another mistake while you're walking in this flesh. It just means you reach a place of maturity just like the author of Hebrews was talking about, just like Paul's talking about in Galatians. The problem is most of us choose to stay in a place that we are we are children of God, but we stay in the position of babes. And we never actually step into the fullness of maturity and become who he says we are. And we never know real freedom. We never know real joy. We never know real peace. You know, I sat there in, in my house. When I got out of the hospital, I was in for, what, 10 days, 9 days? 
I went septic. I mean, it, it was it was the whole thing was crazy. And uh, I got home, you know, and and I know I'm not going where they're probably going to take my kidney, but I got to get healthy first, for that could even happen. And I, I'm going to be sitting in this chair for a long time. And part of me was really excited because I'm thinking, man, how often do I want a month to sit in my chair and just read my Bible and talk to Jesus and not have talked to nobody else? And I finally got it. But the problem was I was so under, under such shock from the sickness and the infirmity that hit my body. And then I was under the influence of all the drug pills and all that kind of stuff. That I was sitting in my chair, but I, I, I'd read chapter two of the Bible. I couldn't even tell you what chapter it was. I'd try to pray, and that, you know, I'd try to have a conversation with somebody come over and visit me, and that lasts about a minute, and I just couldn't even focus on them no more. And I basically, after about a few days, I realized this ain't happening. And I'm thinking, what a waste of time for me to be sitting in this chair and not spending it with Jesus. Because I was equating spending time with Jesus with me actively doing a work or pursuing him that would bring his attention instead of just surrendering to the fact his attention's on me and never leaves. Whether I'm reading my Bible or not reading my Bible. Whether I'm saying his name and, tr and talking to him like he's right here or not. His attention is fully focused on me because I am his beloved. And although I would tell you that I knew that, it wasn't a real revelation in my life until I realized I can't do this. So I'm going to sit in this chair and watch TV for a month. And it was really about a month before my mind came back on and I could actually begin to think and focus. Bye, y'all. Bye, guys. Bye, boys. Good night. Bye. And, uh. Delivering. No, you're good. Well, I'm saying you got all these kids. Love y'all. Love you, brother Gary. Thanks for bringing your boys. They yeah. like to have a good time. Yes, sir. Love you, sir. Love <laughs> <laughs> See y'all. Good night, y'all. Hey, if y'all would be more comfortable, both of them mind, would you? I don't mind a I, I, I would, I would sure? suggest that. You suggest that? <laughs> I finally y'all just surrender to the fact that that ain't happening and and submitted to the truth that I didn't have to do that for him to be sitting right there with me in the commune with me, even though I couldn't get my mind to put two sentences together. And, and it's just surrendering to these truths and actually letting these subconscious things that we've held on to or been taught that we got to do and we have to get better to actually get his approval instead of understanding that approval's already been given 
Righteousness has been put on us. Sanctification has been put on us. Yes, I do want to purify myself, like it says, because I want to be like him when he comes, just like it says in 1 John. So I'm responsible for purifying myself. I'm responsible for looking around and saying, that's not righteous, that ain't righteous, and ripping it up out of my life and out of my house and my family so that I look like him when he shows up. Then there is a responsibility on me. That don't mean we get to do, but you know what? When you surrender to these truths, all of a sudden those things drive you to want to do that. Not because somebody just gave you a new rule book, but because there is an understanding. This is who I am and this is who I need to be. Do you know why, in my opinion, that God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt? Because they had been living in the middle of idolatry for so long, they didn't even know who they were and what they were supposed to be or what they were supposed to do. So God gave them 10 of the most basic rules that humanity should have <laughs> because they just didn't have a clue. And, and we've taken those 10 commandments and we've almost idolatrized them. And, and, you know, those are things that should be established in your heart because of the righteousness of God. Nobody came up and told me, hey, don't go fornicate with a neighbor no more. Nobody come and said, hey, don't steal no more. When he came into me with his righteousness and we became one, I just knew that's not who I am no more. Yeah, that is what I did. That is who I was. And you know what? That thing would circle back around in some of those different areas and try to get me to go right back into it and say that to you. And, and there would be a moment where I'd have to decide, am I going to go after who I used to be when I walked in the ignorance? In unbelief, or am I going to submit to who Jesus had told me I am? And he told me more about who I was when I was laying on that floor almost as much as he's ever told me by reading his Bible and his word. But together, they have clearly defined that he tells me who I am. And see, so when we let these truths become the things that we stand on, every time the lie rears its head up, then we have the right to say, no, that's a lie. And because of use and skill and exercise, I can now discern between good and evil. And what's good and what's evil? You know what's good? What God says about us. You know what's evil? Anything that raises its head up against what God said. It's pretty simple. And see, if God says you're the righteousness of me in Christ Jesus, well, when the devil comes and says, well, you're just a sinner and this is just what you're going to do, hey, just, you know, he'll love you and there's going to be a place for but you can't get free of this because it's just what you've always done. Well, I have to make a decision which one of those I'm going with. Thank you for listening to Company of Believers podcast. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to sow into this ministry, please go to www.companyofbelievers.com and select Give. Thank you for listening.